Well, thank you, Mary, for that reading. And welcome, everyone, to my bedroom. Isn't that a very weird thing to say? But this is such a strange time, isn't it? And there's such an informality about this new setup. You all get to squeeze into my tiny bedroom, a feat that would be impossible in real life. And I bet if I took a straw poll of how many of you are still in your PJs, I'd find it was a majority. One, two, th no, I can't really see you, obviously. Mind you, these are extraordinary times, aren't they? Everything's been turned on its head. It feels like the whole world is upside down, doesn't it? And that phrase, the world turned upside down, is one that I'm going to come back to. Now, let me start with an apology. Oh, dear. That doesn't sound very good, does it? It sounds like I'm about to offend everybody. But my apology is that I don't slip into any kind of Christian speak because I really want this talk to be very accessible so that whether or not you normally watch any Christian talks, you understand what I'm saying. But every group has its own language and actions and Christianity is no different. Dancers have got a whole range of words and moves. What is a tonde, tondu or a plie? And why would I want to do-si-do? How much quicker is a quick step than a waltz? Now, computers, don't get me started on computers. I know a little bit about computers. Gigabytes, megahertz, RAM, CPU. Now, Java, I bet that you thought it was a place, didn't you? Mind you, I bet the people who live in Java thought it was a place too. Or at least you thought it was a coffee. I certainly did. ICQ, ICT, IGP, NAT, NAS, NIC, Node, Bits, Bytes, Bots. Think I better stop about computers, hadn't I? Now, what about sewing? That's something I don't know a lot about. Seams, cross-stitch, applique, bias-binding, interfacing, bumble-bunching. Ooh. Bumble bunching. Don't you love that word, bumble bunching? I have absolutely no idea what it means, but I just want to do it because it sounds so wonderful. Bumble bunching. I want to do some bumble bunching. But you get the point, don't you? Every group, hobby, science, etc. has got its own words and Christianity is the same. But it can be so confusing if you don't know what I'm talking about. So I will try and not use words without explaining them. Now, Mary read from a letter in the Bible that was written by the Apostle Paul 2000 years ago. An apostle literally means someone who was sent by God. And in the Bible, it means sent by God with a specific task. That task was to share the good news about Jesus and gather people together who were starting to believe. Now, if you're not someone who normally listens to Christian talks, you might well already be put off and be thinking, what has a 2000 year old letter got to do with me? And you might be tempted to switch off at this point, but please don't, because the whole Bible is a very old book, but it's the most powerful and relevant book that you will ever hear about. It's got the most powerful and relevant content in it because many millions of people over 2000 years from loads of different backgrounds and cultures have found the Bible to be the most powerful and life changing book. The word Bible literally just means book. The Bible means the book. 
When Paul and his travelling companions went to Thessalonica, it was a very important Roman city. It was actually the capital of Macedonia. Today, it's the second largest uh, Greek city. It's a port on the Aegean Sea, so it's still pretty important today. On their arrival in Thessalonica, Paul and his companions talked about Jesus. And this teaching resulted in them being accused of turning the world upside down. I said I'd reference it later, didn't I? The people at that time found Paul's teaching so strange, so powerful, it altered their worldview. It turned everything on its head. What Paul shared was so revolutionary and shocking, it changed everything they believed. He showed them a new way to understand God. He gave them a new hope and understanding about the future. And it's as relevant today as it was to them. It's as radical today as it was then. It's just as important and life-changing for us today as it was for the people of Thessalonica. I'm going to help to explain why by looking at the hope that Paul brought in his message. It was a hope that enabled the people then and will enable us to endure, to keep going through difficulty. It's a hope that gives us a future. It's a hope that gives us life. Now, the longer that the current COVID crisis goes on, the more hope we need, don't we? The more our endurance is tested and hope is sorely needed at the moment, isn't it? To have hope that gets us through difficulties, the difficulties of life, hope that brings endurance to manage whatever life throws at us, hope that is real, we need good news and we need a direction, don't we? The letter to the Thessalonians begins with a blessing. And if I was to say that blessing, it would probably have extraordinarily little impact on you because we become blasé about things like blessings, don't we? The very word blessing has lost all of its power and meaning. If I say blessing, you you tend to think, well, blessing, that means nothing to me. But let me explain why that blessing has got great power. First, the Apostle Paul addresses his readers. He says, to the church of the Thessalonians. And church at that time didn't mean a building like today. When he said church, he wasn't referring to a building. It meant an assembly or a group meeting together. That's all that church meant. Therefore, Paul had to explain who this group were. He said they're the group of people who are in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the significance was they had a special kind of relationship with God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this group of people had a special relationship with God. And then Paul gives the blessing. He says, grace to you and peace. And now you're probably now shrugging your shoulders and thinking, well, all that build up for nothing. Grace and peace? So what? Grace is something that people say before meals. I mean, my friends call grace, my daughters call grace, my neighbours call grace. And as for peace, come on, isn't that what people just say and means nothing? So let me explain the significance. I found this very helpful description of grace and peace. It's in the Believer's Bible commentary. Grace is God's undeserved favour in every aspect of our lives. Let me repeat that. Grace is God's undeserved favour in every aspect of our lives. 
In other words, Paul's blessing starts with God loves us and cares for us in spite of everything we've done. He loves us and cares for us no matter what we've done. And he's got a plan to bring good in our lives. And the description of peace is this. Peace is the unruffled quietness which defies the crashing, crushing circumstances of life. And let me repeat that. Peace is the unruffled quietness which defies the crushing, the crashing, crushing circumstances of life. So peace isn't finding a quiet place. It's finding a place of quiet within ourselves in distressing times. And God helps us in that. The second part of Paul's blessing is that we receive peace that comes in spite of our circumstances. In verse 3 of the reading that Mary gave us, Paul goes on to talk about endurance inspired by hope in Jesus. So the ability to keep going comes from our hope in Jesus. It's a hope that comes because of our relationship with God through Jesus. Remember I said that the Thessalonians had a special relationship with God through Jesus. That's not something just for them. It's something for us, all of us. And we don't earn that relationship by what we do. God offers it to us free. We just accept it. So that hope we have is because God cares for us and wants the best for us. He has a plan and that plan involves Jesus. Now, I've got a story to tell you about my childhood. It's from the early 1970s. Hang on, early 1970s. Surely I wasn't even born in the early 1970s, much less a child. But we'll put that to one side for a second. This is from the early 1970s when somehow I was a child. We were camping as a family at Plage Saint-Michel in France. And one morning my dad said, let's go to Erkey. It's only round the headland. Now, Erkey wasn't a commune then. It was just a normal French town. It's very close, he said, pointing at the road map. True enough, it was only about two inches away on his map. So my dad, my uncle, my brothers, aged six and, f- six and five, and, and me, age ten, how's that possible, went on this short journey, or, or so we thought. I mean, it was only two inches away after all. We weren't well equipped. We wore T-shirts, shorts and sandals. We didn't have drinks or food. After all, it wasn't far away. Dad's plan was to buy crepes at Erky. Hmm. We all liked that idea, and after all, that was why we decided to go. It was sunny as we marched off across the beach. We were confident we'd soon arrive at our destination. After all, it was just around the headland, according to Dad's map. A mist descended as we started to cross the beach, but our dad's confidence kept us going. There was no need to stop or turn round or fetch anything. We just kept going. After we rounded the headland, a rather long beach lay ahead of us and the mist started to look a bit thicker. But we didn't lose heart. Dad kept us steadfast and we kept going. After all, our hope was we would reach Erky soon. Even the rather steep climb that faced us at the end of that rather long beach didn't knock Dad's confidence. It did knock ours. And Dad said, obviously, Erky was just at the top of that rather steep climb. We did feel a little shaken and looked at our sandals and the steep climb. But Dad repeated, Erky's at the top. So we began the climb and Dad spurred us on. 
It was a tricky climb in sandals with a five and six year old in tow, but at last we attained the summit. We stood facing a seemingly endless field, or fields really, not the town as promised, not Erky, but fields. But Dad said, onwards, we've come this far, Erky is just across the fields. Our hope in ever reaching Erky was getting a little fragile by now, but we followed Dad as he strode across what seemed like miles of fields. The cliff that faced us at the end of those fields was the last straw. Even Dad looked taken aback. But after contemplating it for a while, Dad said, Erky is at the end of the cliff, I can see it, though his voice didn't sound quite so certain. This was the early 1970s, so forget how Erky is now. The cliff had sea lapping at its base and thick thorny bushes at the top. There was no um, roadway at the bottom as there is now. We were part way down that cliff and we could only go across it by a rather narrow cliff path. There was no fence, no hedge, no safety method of any sort on the seaward side. Onward, said Dad, Erky is close now. He was again full of hope and he marched ahead of us leading the way. Now I'm not going to bore you with the slips and near falls that occurred on our rather hazardous route across the cliff, nor the great gaps in the pass that we had to leap. I won't dwell on those. To be honest, I'd rather forget. But at the end of this was not a path into Erky, but a gate. Not a gate of access into Erky, but a, a private gate, a no entry gate, a gate into a private garden. My dad was not about to give up so near the end. Much to all of our horror, we were ushered through that gate into a private garden of a house. The owner seemed surprised to see us all as he sat enjoying a quiet drink in his garden. I, I won't say he was pleased. On the other side of the man's garden lay Erky, and after a rather brief and loud exchange, he unwillingly and probably unwittingly let us through. We had finally reached our goal. Erky! Good old Erky! The promised hope was fulfilled. We'd arrived at Erky. In Erky we feasted on crepes. They tasted like no crepes had tasted before or since. It took longer and was harder than expected, but our endurance had paid off. The long and difficult journey became a thing to laugh about and remember as an achievement. Doing the Erky walk has become a family legend, a family joke, and we sing it to the tune of doing the Lambeth walk. Hoi! Doing the Erky walk. Hoi! Ironically, when you remember this talk, you'll probably only remember the Erky walk, but I actually give it only as a humorous example of a day-to-day -day trial and how hope can keep us going. Hope gives us the endurance to continue. Dad spurred us on with hope in our end goal. If Dad had driven us to Erky and handed us a crepe, well, that would have been a treat, but somehow a less special one. We wouldn't have gone through any of the expectation or sense of hope. There wouldn't have been any ups and downs or struggles. It would have just been a fact that happened and would have been long forgotten. I certainly wouldn't have been telling you about it. Hope involves expectation of a future event. Often we go through difficulties en route to that future. Somehow we grow through challenges. We gain a greater joy at the end because of them. But hold on, if you're running off in your head about situations in your life that are so terrible that you think you didn't need them to happen in order to grow. Because my illustration is only going to be imperfect. It can't cover every possible situation. It's just a glimpse at what I'm saying. No illustration can be perfect. Take it 
as far as it goes. That's all it can ever be. Because the other side of this is that life, especially during COVID, can seem never-ending, unendurable. Our lives can seem too hard and hope can feel like a complete folly. To talk of hope can seem very surface and irrelevant. You may have been let down over and over. Things can be so difficult. You may have a close family member who've either died of COVID or are extremely ill ill with it. You can have lost your job, be suffering depression from isolation, struggling with the extra pressures of children at home. There can be so many stresses and strains that come from working at home. Back in the 1990s, I worked from home when our family was very uh, very young. I understand it's not easy, but hope in Jesus is the most relevant and important thing in the world. I spend a lot of time in a hospital bed. You might just be able to see it behind me. That's the bottom end of it. That's the top end of it. The rest of the time I'm in the wheelchair that I'm in now. This is the headrest for it. I'm sat in the wheelchair. It's not my choice. It's very frustrating. I spend a lot of my days in pain. But I look really well. I know I probably look really well to you now, but I can feel really ghastly. But because I look really well, because I don't like to act the way I feel, I like to try and act well, then people tell me how well I look. And that could be frustrating. The point is, I know what it is to be in a difficult and frustrating place. I want to walk, but I can't. I want to fix things around the house, but I can't. There are many things I can no longer do. Being ill and disabled is extremely frustrating and difficult. I understand just how life hard can, how hard life can be, but I realise that other people have got it even tougher. I don't consider myself to be in the worst possible situation. My message is not a simple and trite one. For hope to be valid, it has to mean something. It has to have value. The end point of that hope has to be worth heading towards. The person we put our hope in must be worthwhile trusting in and hoping in. They need to be able to take the weight of our faith in them. Hope must be powerful and strong, stronger than all the failure and rubbish around us, stronger than the pain and suffering. And the good news is that Jesus is worth hoping in. Jesus is worth heading towards. But more than that, he's not distant and cold. Jesus is near us and he understands. Now, I don't know about you, but when my life feels complete rubbish and I'm in so much pain, I can't cope. When I'm lying awake at night, having cried myself dry of tears, when I just don't feel like I've got the strength to carry on. I don't need someone saying something trite and rehearsed. I need reality. In Jesus, I have a real God. We have a real God, a God who has been where we are. And we have a God who understands, a God who understands the grief, the wretchedness, the betrayal, the loneliness, the desertion, the agonizing pain, the utter torment, the nights when sleep are impossible and there seems no way out. We have a God like that. He knows. He understands. Jesus is God who came to earth to show us the way. Jesus has been where we are. My message today is about hope in Jesus, the hope that Jesus gives us. Now, I haven't got time to explain all the details about Jesus' death on the cross and rising again. You really need to hear more about that another time because I just can't carry on for hours and hours. I've just got this message of hope to bring to you. But that is all a vital part of God's plan. We can have hope because Jesus gave us hope and a future if we put our trust in him. What message 
did Paul bring to the Thessalonians that turned the world upside down? The same message that we can hear and respond to today. The message that gave them a new relationship with God gives us a new relationship with God too. Jesus was and is God come into the world to rescue us. God himself doing something about our pain and suffering. I know many people say, why doesn't God do something? He did. He does. God sorting out the mess we have made. God sees all the things we've done in our lives, the things we're ashamed of, the things we hide from our closest friends. Yet he loves us. Jesus says this in the gospel, which means good news of John chapter three, verse 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. How do we know we have hope? Because God showed us through Jesus. It was love in action. Jesus showed us that God is not distant from us. Jesus once walked this earth, experienced life just as we do in all its messy reality. Jesus is not some distant religious figure that we see in paintings. Jesus is real and personal. Jesus isn't a far off deity to know about we can know him personally. Jesus isn't a statue to put flowers around. Jesus is near and real. Jesus isn't someone to learn about in books, although we obviously do learn about him in the Bible. He's someone to know as a person. Jesus isn't someone to give us a set of rules to follow. A, B, C, then you're rescued. Jesus accepts us as we are. Yes, I know he doesn't leave us in a mess. He just doesn't want us to get cleaned up first. He accepts us as we are. He meets us where we are. Come as you are. Broken, lost, crying, desperate, lonely, in pain, emotionally or physically. Come as you are. Messed up, inadequate as you feel. Jesus will not turn you away. Jesus is the very source and meaning of hope. If you are ready to give up, turn to Jesus and ask for his help doesn't matter how much you've cursed him in the past or claim he doesn't exist. That is where we all were before we recognise the truth of who Jesus is. There is only one hope that endures and gives us the strength to endure. And that is Jesus. Put your trust and faith in him. He will not let you down. It is a hope that does not disappoint. A real, secure and firm hope. A hope we can trust in. Turn to Jesus. He is our hope and our future. And I want to give you a chance to do just that. If you have never put your trust in Jesus before, or if you've done it and you just want to rededicate yourself to him, this is your opportunity. And I'm going to give you a short bit of silence in which you can ask God to help you with that. And then I will pray. The prayer is going to come up on the screen. And then prayer, after all, is just asking God to help you and talking either out loud or in your head. Um, and just to tell you that when it mentions in the prayer, the Holy Spirit, um, the Holy Spirit is just asking for God's presence and power in your life. So I'll just ask Richard to bring the prayer up on the screen. So just pray this prayer with me if you want to put your trust in Jesus. And I'll just give you a second's uh, silence just in order to ask God to help you first. Lord Jesus Christ, I am sorry for the things I have done wrong in my life. 
and just take a few moments to ask forgiveness for anything in particular that comes to your mind. Please forgive me. I now turn from everything that I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. I now receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. And if you change to the next slide, please, Richard. If you prayed that prayer, you might want to make contact either with Matt or Mig at Creech. Or if you're at a distance, then your local Christian church. Or you might want to look up an Alpha uh, online because Alpha is a very good source of information about Christianity. Um, there's a, an Alpha course that will be near you. I'm sure that you can find more out. So um, do find out more about the Christian faith if you've made any form of uh, commitment to following Jesus, then you want to find out more. And if it's just left you with questions, then I suggest you get in touch and just ask those questions. Find out more.